Welcome to uh, Two Guys in the Bible, conversation on theology, culture, and God's Word. My name is Eric Leupold, and I'm joined via phone uh, by uh, my brother uh, in the Lord, Dylan Keniston. Uh, Dylan, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm always on the move, which is not a good thing, um, but I'm on the move yet again. So <laughs> I'm actually just driving back from the place that Emily and I just bought. So I don't know how much I had shared with our audience, but so Emily and I bought a house recently, and we're really excited about it, but uh, we bought a cat pee house. Uh, we bought a cat pee house knowingly, uh, so, you know, we got a little bit of a good deal on it, which was nice, but now it's time to, you know, earn that that sweat equity. So uh, I've been traveling back and forth from you know, where we're currently at in Doylestown to uh, this place that we bought. It's about an hour and a half away. It's a little bit, you know, we're, we're going a little bit further out because, you know, mostly, it, you know, a, I mean, A, it's cheaper to live there uh, in this other further out area, but B, it's very, very much closer to both sets of parents. You know, essentially, our parents now live an hour and a half away from both of us, and they, the parents, are about 10 minutes away from each other, Emily's parents and my, and my mom and stepdad. So, like, you know, if we move there, you know, it's just so much easier to be close to the family. Um, and, and so, yeah, so that's, that's the direction we're moving. But in the meantime, we got to get this house not smelling like happy, which, praise the Lord, I've been working on this thing for a couple of months now. And, like, I think this is, we're in month, like, two, but because I'm still working, so I'm able to get there on weekends. Anyway, the happy smell is gone. Praise the Lord, bro. That's just been a massive answer to prayer. I know that you, Eric, uh, and, and our small group, and there's folks from church have been praying for us. And, you know, the Lord has just answered those prayers tremendously. Um, so, yeah, no more cappy smell, which is awesome. But now we got to still, we still have a lot to do, right? We still have to paint. Uh, that's kind of the next big project that I'm going to be undertaking. Um, so that's going to be like the cabinets, the walls. Like, we're just going to really try to, you know, make the place look, you know, because you know it hasn't been touched since it was it was built in the uh, early '90s, wow. uh, and it hasn't been touched since then. You know, like renovated or any work done to it, at least that I can tell. So it, it's definitely due for you know a little bit of it. You know, I think the '90s, like man, I grew up in the '90s. Like that's not that long ago. But then you think about it, we're like <laughs> we're in 2020. It's like, that was 30 years ago. I mean, we're getting like, old. Like, we're getting old, man. <laughs> like getting a little bit closer <laughs> to heaven. But, praise the Lord. But uh, you know, I I, I want this. Uh, this house to get a little bit of a facelift. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's the story. And you know, you know, the other thing too, I don't know if I'm being a little bit too transparent here, but like, you know, the, my, my mother and father-in-law, I mean, I love them. They've just been super supportive through this whole process, but you know, initially they were a little bit apprehensive about, you know, the understandably, you know what I mean? About like cat pee house and moving my daughter into a cat pee house. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't want some, you know, Brielle's husband someday moving her into a cat pee house. You know what I mean? So like, you know, I, (laughs) I'm also kind of like, yeah, I, I got to make sure that like, you know, I'm moving my family into a nice place. You know what I mean? Not just obviously for, for Emily's parents' sake or for, for my parents' sake, but, but for their sake. You know what I mean? For Emily's sake, for yeah. sake. I want them to live in like a nice place because they've been patient with me, bro. Like they've been, you know, like Emily, I mean, not Brielle, she's only lived where she lived now, but like Emily has, and I have moved in the course of our marriage uh, too many times. I think we're, this is going to be like our seventh move. Um, <laughs> So, and we got married in 2014. So, you know, we're coming up on our anniversary here pretty soon. We, we got married in May, but, um, mm. but, but yeah, so this is, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but uh, that's, mm. that's where I've been. It's just uh, a little bit out of touch. So I, I apologize, but glad we're able to connect now anyway. Yeah. What do you think you'll be able to be, uh, be moved in by June? Uh, Lord willing. Yeah. So, so the plan is, you know, if all goes well with, uh, we still have to, 
reinstall. So, you know, to get rid of the cat pee smell, I had to go down to the subfloor. And there's yeah. a product called Kills, K-I-L-Z. Uh, basically put kills down all over the subfloor and all over the uh, walls. So, I mean, it's almost like you, you set up a, a kills bomb off in the whole, <laughs> in the whole house, man especially the downstairs. I think the cats were, you know, not allowed upstairs, it, it, it appears, um, because some of the rooms upstairs mm. were, were okay. But downstairs, this whole kills bomb went off. So um, the flooring, so basically we need new flooring. So that's that needs to happen. But I want to paint everything first. So mm-hmm. Lord willing, you know, if everything goes according to plan, we should be in, you know, be able to move by the first or second week of June. Okay. So... And, and part of it too is just like, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm grateful to still be working. Uh, and I, I am able to work remotely, praise the Lord. But like, you know, it also means I'm only able to get there on, you know, sat- on the weekends. You know, yeah. So I'm really only putting in a couple days a month, uh, you know, mm-hmm. of a good day of work. So, you know, so that's why it's, it's taking a little bit longer than, than is expected. But, you know, better that than the alternative. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that you. you know. So I, I know that's you know not everybody's situation. There's a lot of people out there who are really struggling and, and are out of work right now. So um, yeah, you know, like I said, I'm grateful to still be able to work, um, but it, it extends the timeline a little bit. Yeah, and that's you know you bring up the uh, the current situation that we're in, and I guess that's kind of what I want to chat with you about. Um, I mean, this is kind of informal. We I, we didn't. I mean, I've done a little bit of reading on this, a little bit of study on this, and and approach this more from like. A, you know, we live in Pennsylvania, so we're approaching it more from the Pennsylvania side of things. And I've been in some, some chats with some people. Um, and so I want to get your thoughts on, on this, Dylan, because, like, it's hard to navigate. Um, I, don't want, I don't like the term civil disobedience, um, but that's just the term that's commonly used. But, like, basically navigating the relationship between, you know, the church and the state or the individual Christian, right? And you're getting like, you're getting both sides of the, uh, you know, two extremes in, in a way there. So I guess like what I've been recently trying to do, and I actually wrote a couple letters to um, uh, my, my township, not my township, I'm sorry, my uh, county commissioners and my um, local representatives, the, uh, the state general assembly representatives, um, trying to explain all this. So anyways, but real quick, I mean, when you look at the Pennsylvania Constitution, okay, so let me, let me bring it up real quick because it's, it's really useful. Uh, the language is very interesting. Um, By the way, just some, some yeah. background info yeah, for yeah. the audience here while, while you're poking that up. Uh, you know, you had mentioned this is a bit of an impromptu recording uh, for, for the episode. Just, you know, Eric and I were talking over the phone just uh, a couple of minutes ago, and we were just chatting and catching up, and then, you know, we... we Obviously, you know, things related to the current situation started coming up. We started talking about it. And we're, like, we're like, man, should we be recording this? So, like, <laughs> that's why we're all just out of nowhere. We're like, hey, impromptu recording session. So, and anyway. you know what's funny about that, Dylan? That's how we got this whole thing started. The very the reason we started this whole podcast is because we were chit-chatting and we were really enjoying it. And it was, it was a wonderful conversation. We're like, why don't we just record this? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, this is what we're doing. This is... This is, we're going back to the roots here. We're going back to the roots. All right. I got, I got it. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I got it here. All right. Here we go. All right. So, all right. So in uh, uh, the constitution of Pennsylvania, current constitution, obviously uh, in section one, you got the, you know, the pretty, the, the standard, the standard one. Here we go. It says 
um, quote, all men are born equally free and independent and have certain inherent and in indefeasible rights, among which are those of enjoying and defending life and liberty, of acquiring, possessing, and protecting property and reputation, and of pursuing their own happiness. And then another one that I think is of particular note for, especially as Christians, is section three, which talks about religious freedom. This one says, quote, all men have a natural and indefeasible right to worship Almighty God according to the dictates of their own consciences. No man can of right be compelled to attend, erect, or support any place of worship or to maintain any ministry against his consent. No human authority can, in any case whatever, control or interfere with the rights of conscience. And no preference shall ever be given by law to any religious establishment or mode of worship. So... I guess what struck me in that, um, you know, you got some of the key phrases there. Uh, all of us have, and so this is my thought process. I'll give you my thought process, Dylan, and what I kind of said to my, my local rep representatives. And then I want to get, you know, your pushback and your thoughts on it. So first, my thought process is this. Uh, the, the, in, in land of Pennsylvania, uh, the highest authority is Caesar. I'm a big fan of Romans 13. It's in the Bible. It's a chapter. It's actually God's word. Like, I really do believe it. And I do believe that the highest authority in the land is the constitution of Pennsylvania. Um, you know, we're not living in an empire, right? So, so there's that. Um, okay, so since the constitution is the highest authority, um, you know, that, that, that nothing can trump that per se. There's a proper way to go about changing the constitution, but you can't just willy-nilly, like, not not recognize it or, or, or support and defend it. So now the idea of acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and of course, life and liberty, you know, it seems like that's, you know, that would, that might include in my mind, I, I have the right to buy, sell, and to work and to produce something and to sell something, okay, um, without, you know, and, and pursue, you know, happiness, which in, in our modern day, happiness is, 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 no, is just an emotional feeling, but back when this was written, happiness meant a lot more than, than just that. And then as far as the religious freedom piece, I really wanted to focus in on that last sentence. Like it says, no preference shall ever be given by law to any religious establishment or mode of worship. And so in my mind, that also indicates, okay, whether you're meeting online or in a house or in a building, you know, the government can't pass a law that prefers or gives preference to any particular or requires any particular mode of worship. Um, it would seem to be that would, that would be that. Um, okay. That being said, but then you have some statutes, right? Some Pennsylvania statutes. There's like, I don't know, I'm counting. It's like 79 of them. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty long. But uh, if you look under the health and safety statute, okay, there is a definition of a disaster emergency. So this is where, and this is like chapter uh, 71 of, of that uh, document. It's like so many documents, but you just got to get through it and, you, and you'll figure it out. All right. So in uh, chapter 71, let me quickly get to the definition of disaster emergency. Okay, here it is. Disaster emergency. It's those conditions which may by investigation may be found or actually are likely to you know, quote, affects seriously the safety, health, or welfare of a substantial number of citizens of this commonwealth or preclude the operation or use of essential public facilities. And number two, 
be of such magnitude or severity as to render essential state supplementation of county and local efforts or resources. So basically, um, the language is kind of broad. I mean, it's intentionally broad, but it basically is talking about like this, this serious safety, health, and welfare of a substantial number of citizens, which I, you know, what, what that number is, nobody knows. I mean, substantial number is, it's anyone can kind of pick and choose what that means, right? And there's no definition of substantial. And then be of such magnitude as to render essential. So basically, the county and local uh, governments and resources don't have the capability of handling uh, their own counties and their own municipalities. So therefore, they need uh, state help. Now, when you kind of zoom forward to chapter 73, it says that the governor has the authority to declare a disaster emergency by executive order. It doesn't really say what he needs, like what evidence there has to be. It just simply says this. It simply says that uh, upon finding that a disaster has occurred or that the occurrence or the threat of a disaster is imminent, it shall be declared by executive order. Okay. And then it will continue until the governor finds that the threat has passed or the disaster has been dealt with to the extent that the emergency conditions don't need to exist anymore. And then uh, lastly, uh, the General Assembly, uh, well, actually, the uh, executive order can only last 90 days, but it can be renewed by the governor. So again, he, he can just renew it whenever he wants to. And then the general, but the only, the, the only caveat is that the General Assembly can terminate a state of emergency at any time. So they have to come together and vote if they wish to terminate it. Now, it's interesting, some of, the, some of the power that the governor is given during these emergencies. So, so I'm just going to read, I'm getting from chapter uh, 73. The, the, uh, under this part, the governor may issue, amend, or rescind executive orders, proclamations, and regulations, which shall have the force and effect of law. Okay. And then if you go down to additional powers, <clears throat> excuse me, he can do things like, um, control entrance and exit to and from a disaster area. He can control the movement of persons within the area and the occupancy of premises inside. He can suspend the sale of alcohol, firearms, explosives, and combustibles. He can, he can do all kinds of things. He can transfer resources and suspend regulations. Basically, there's, there's almost anything he can do. Uh, I mean, the power is, is, is quite, quite intense. Now, the hard part as I'm reading through all of this is like, okay, you know, when this was written, did these guys, you know, were they thinking about like this kind of a weird pandemic where, you know, it's going on for, it's going on for 60 days now and it's affecting, you know, more, more certain areas of the, of the state way more so than, than other counties. Um, so, I mean, is the whole state emergency or is it just like one area's emergency? Um, and, and then, the other question that comes to my mind is, uh, even if the legislature um, um, puts, a, puts the statute in place that the governor can have near absolute power when he declares an emergency, does that mean he gets to trump the Constitution? Because, you know, can a people divest themselves of their God-given, of their God-given rights? Can, can they just put into law the Constitution at this point no longer matters under emergency? So I guess... That's kind of like what I've been thinking about um, as a citizen and as a Christian, and I've been trying to communicate my concerns uh, to uh, to my local representative representatives. So, 
you know, I've been basically asking them to, you know, let's, let's try to get the General Assembly to uh, consider um, ending the state of emergency. And, and that's what I've been trying to encourage other Christians uh, to if they're really concerned about the state of things, you know. So instead of just willy-nilly um, being a lone ranger and doing your own thing or, you know, churches just, you know, just opening themselves up, um, I think we should try to exhaust the proper channels first which is, you know, appeal to your local representative to, to ask for this uh, disaster emergency to be um, ended the proper way. So I guess I don't want to go on too long. I want to get your thoughts on this, Dylan, but uh, does that make sense? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I confess I'm, <laughs> I'm nowhere near as, as, uh, as well-read on, on Pennsylvania statutes as, as you are and, <laughs> and uh, have well, been doing a deep dive on this, it sounds like, which is, which is really good. Um, I, I don't have the same expertise, but what I will say is uh, generally, yes, I think there is a wisdom in, insofar as it is possible and insofar, um, yeah, I, I think it's generally good practice to try to exhaust proper channels, um, you know, as, as, as much as possible. I mean, there, you know, there, there are times and occasions where, you know, there's, there's big red buttons where proper channels are, you know, either either have been exhausted or, or are, you know, uh, systemically functioning against uh, justice, in which case, you know, there, there are instances where, where civil disobedience may uh, be appropriate. Personally, uh, for, my, for my money, um, yeah. I don't think that we are at that stage yet, uh, it, you know, given the current circumstances and, you know, situation with, with COVID and, and the lockdown. Um, I will say it's, it's kind of like, you know, imagine... You know, I, I, I drove, when I moved to Texas, uh, I drove there. I drove there from mm -hmm. Pennsylvania. Uh, it, it took a, you know, it took a good, a good while a to while. get there. It took a while. But when I got to Texas, man, I tell you, like you just drive on these flat, flat highways and you could just see for miles. You like, you could just see a yep. long way down the road. Yeah. I lived um, there for a few years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You, you, you spent some good time there. And, and so, um, I put it this way, like, there's, there's a line. Um, you can see it from here, right? It's kind of like, you know, I'm driving on this highway. Like, I can see where I'm going. Uh, in this case, we don't want to, to go there, right? Um, but the point is, like, you can see from where we are today that line where, you know, there is, there is a point at which time, you know, it, it may be appropriate to say, you know, um, yeah, like, in, in the name of... Like you can sell almost anything uh, under the rubric of being in the name of public safety. Yes. Uh, you, you know, for, set aside COVID for a second. Um, imagine you had a, a really malicious government, um, and I'm not saying that that you know someone may or may not think that that's our current situation. I'm just saying, imagine for a moment yeah. you had a malicious anti-Christian government that really did believe that Christian worship generally is. A threat to public safety, to public morale, to to you know, it's it's generally falls the outside the band of, of yeah the economy. It generally falls outside the bands of of what is tolerated, right? I mean, in that case, uh, you know, what did the apostles say? You know, we we must obey God rather than man. Um, so so there is a line there, right? And and again, I think in our situation, I don't think we're there. I think you can see it way down the road. Like you can imagine a situation where this becomes, you know, just so silly. That uh, you just you know at at some point um, 
yeah, I mean, we, we a church at the end of the day is not a building, right? Oh, a church yeah. is a is a is a people. It's an assembly. I mean, that's, that's you know what the, what the word means is those who are called out to assemble um, in in the name of Christ. And so, you know, the, the question is not so much do we meet at a particular location. Uh, you know, the question is are are we assembling? <laughs> um, and and you know, yeah, at some point that's that's going to to become more and more pressing. Well, here's the, I guess my question then is, let's say that, you know, we go into yellow phase or go into green phase and, um, you know, I don't know what the, what the numbers are going to be for green phase. Like, can we all meet together still or do we still have to be six feet apart? But like, do you think, and, and it comes down to the difference between a, a, a recommendation and a command because, you know, right. maybe the governor, the government could say, okay, churches, you guys can meet we recommend that you do such and such a thing, or we say you can meet, but you cannot use wind instruments because it projects, you know, it projects <laughs> vapor into the air and you can't, yeah. you can't yeah. sing. You can't <laughs> sing without a covered face. You know, right. I mean, don't you think, do you think that that is uh, going, that is like basically the, the state getting too involved in the churches, how the modes of worship, like how they worship, per what that what that section of the constitution says giving preference you know uh, yeah well uh, let me back up for a minute you know i think insofar <laughs> as it's insofar as it's within our power to do we want to we want to live peaceably we want to live peaceably with everybody yeah. and you know including caesar so you know i think that you know if the state says you know it gives these recommendations and says hey this is this is what we have this is what is best practice and you know, this is what we're saying is is right to do. Um, we we are going to do it. There are some, there are some brothers and sisters in Christ who do not believe that regular physical in person assembly is mandated by Scripture for mm-hmm. the church. Um, I do not hold that view. Me too. Uh, I I think I, it's I, required. I, I I think it is required. I do not, I do think that you know do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. Um, I mean I, that's that's typically the proof text that is often uh, referred referred to, and I think for good reason. But I you know I, I don't think it stops there. That there's all kinds of um, biblical theological uh, oh, Old Testament Old Testament you know principles that that, that warrant it, right? So I, I I think that you know at some point um, it is an issue to to continue not meeting so you know in this case however you know i i personally do lean towards uh you know cons- you know basically going with the government's recommendations for churches to you know and along with everyone else and that that in my mind is the key point uh, to remain closed and not assemble so in other words are christians sinning by not assembling are we are we disobeying god by not having church services uh, are we you know obeying man rather than god or fearing man rather than god um i think in in this case i think the answer is no i think it is i think there is wisdom to especially early on when all of this hit when we knew very little about the virus and when we you know, you know, when the 
the curve was just on an exponential increase uh, in, in so many different parts of the country. And it really was quite frightening. You know, there, there were a couple of instances where, quite frankly, it was, it was a bit of an embarrassment where early on, we, again, we knew so little about the virus and it was just spreading so rapidly sure. uh, in, in a situation where people were asymptomatic, where churches were meeting and, and people were getting deathly ill. And, he, and even in some cases, I believe in, in, in Georgia, I'll have to go back and check the citation on that, but, but dying uh, because of uh, churches deciding to, you know, uh, you know, rub, rub the government's nose and things and say, you know, we, we have the right, you know, test us constitutionally and, 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 and uh, you know, and unfortunately a lot of people paid a very heavy price for, <clears throat> for doing that. Now, so why then is it, do I think it, that the state has not yet overstepped its bounds um, personally with respect to churches and Christians be you know having the okay conscience not to meet is because the closure ban in generally speaking has been applied across the board now there's caveats to that right yeah i know uh, essential it, services essential services and that that is a bit of a squishy category isn't it <laughs> yes it is you know, what what gets counted as an essential service who gets to decide what's an essential service now i can i can personally identify a handful of vendors who, you know, and, and, and stores that, you know, might not be essential service design. You know, I won't do that here, but. Um, yeah, I know. You know we, we can all might, think of some things. Yeah. We can think of some things that, you know, might not be. Um, and, and yet here they are. And, and, you know, especially too, you think, you think of the economic impact, which I know is, you know, um, somewhat poo-pooed by, by those who um, are, are very concerned, understandably and legitimately about the, the public health scare of all of this, you know, but, but one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, it's the very large companies that have economies of scale and can absorb long protracted downturns yeah. in business. Not small those, businesses. Yeah. Not small businesses. Right. Who's going to be hurt the most is those mom and pop shops and those who, you know, are, are really much smaller operations um, that are not going to have the economies of scale to be able to absorb this. So unfortunately, those who are hardest hit are going to be the working class and, you know, those um, who, you know, so anyway, that's, that's, well, that's not good. But, but I will say yeah. this, you know, insofar as the ban has been broadly applied and churches have not been singled out, then I think it is okay for a brief period uh, which again, squishy word alert. I know, but for a for a brief period, to to try to again to say okay, as the as the we want to obey our magistrates, right? They are God's servants to do us good, and so insofar as we are able in good conscience to obey them, that is the Christian's default to try and be a good citizen and obey what the authorities whom God has put in place have for us to do. Now, you know, when that starts getting really dicey, really fast, and again, it's like, I don't think we're there yet. I think you can see it from here, right? Is if, if there comes to be a point where either churches do get singled out or, you know, there is some, there is, there is not good, you know, if the data isn't really there to support the, either the, 
you know, if we have flattened the curve and, uh, you know, hospitals are, you know, the ICU beds are no longer overflowing and we are able to safely, with great precaution, uh, to, to begin meeting again and, you know, the, the, the threat is greatly reduced, you know, there, there is a threshold there at which, you know, you know, does it make sense to meet again? Yeah, at some point it's going to, we're, we're going to need to meet again. And, yeah. and that's going to be, you know, you think about like, you know, there are, so, there are so many populations around the world. I mean, granted, we haven't seen anything like COVID-19. I'm not, not trying to equivocate. But, you know, you think about, you think about the Chinese population um, where you know, I was just thinking about this the other day. You know, I, I understand a little bit better now why, why they bow rather than shake hands as the customary greeting. Right, because you know, with so with so dense a population, you, you kind of see the same going on in New York City in, in concentrated areas. Um, yeah, you know, think things can spread really, really fast, and and that can be really, really scary. And you know, yeah. we saw some of the some of the fruit of that exactly in this case. <laughs> so, you know, but where that doesn't exist, and where there's where there is flexibility, there there needs to be that flexibility. You know, one thing to keep in mind is that the state. And the powers that be, the, the governing authorities, we want to submit to them. At the end of the day, they are accountable to us, to the people. And ultimately, even beyond that, they're accountable to God. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They are to bow the knee to the God, you know, <laughs> the God whom they are ministers on behalf of. <laughs> so that, that ought not be lost in all well, of this either. I guess I was um, thinking recently about our, uh, about our, our, our discussion of that book, Extreme Ownership. Um, yeah. And, and honestly, like, I think I personally feel that, you know, you want to empower the people who are underneath you. You want to delegate, you want to let them lead, <clears throat> give them a chance to, to, to make the wise decision for their own people. So instead of the government even, and, and I, don't, I don't really think we flesh this out entirely. We might need to do so at a different time, but like, you know, you said, you know, uh, the church abiding by government rec recommendations. But I, I was trying to point out, like, what if the government says you can't meet unless the, pra the pastor covers his face while preaching? You know, he, you know, you can't use wind instruments. Like, you can't. Not, not that you, we don't recommend you do, but you actually can't. Um, that's a different animal altogether. But where, it, where does it come into play that, like, people should be allowed to have responsibility and to take dominion of their domain. So I'm just thinking of like, you know, if, you know, the government should be like, okay, who knows better than anybody else, the state of XYZ County? Well, probably the, probably that county's commissioners and that county's leadership. So, I mean, you know, who has the, the wisdom to handle their own township like Percocy or, or, or Wormster be the, be the leaders of, of them. And, and who knows, like who knows their congregation best? You know, I, you know who cares about them more, the pastor or the or the governor, the government of Pennsylvania. So I don't know. I just I really do think that people should be given the opportunity and allowed. I mean, no one wants to die, and I think people have a genuine self self interest in self preservation. Um, and, and I think you can make recommendations and give advice, but I'm just all about like, man, give people a chance to take responsibility for themselves instead of micromanaging. Um, you know, where does that come into play there? It really just, I don't know, it kind of bothers me. Yeah, no, I, under, I hear you. I hear you. Well, and the other thing too is, you know, the, the more local, uh, 
the, the, the government, you know, in, in terms of um, effectiveness and, you know, closeness and wisdom and the ability to, you know, apply you know, wise solutions. The, the more local, the better, I think. Um, that's, that's just, that, that's ideal. But, uh, you know, that, that notwithstanding, I also think, you know, part of what makes this one tricky is, is precisely that people can be asymptomatic and still carry and share the virus. That's, and that's, that one makes it tricky. And, you know, honestly, I really do think that once, I think once testing is, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I think we can start opening things up once we get a vaccine. I I don't think we have to wait that long. You know, remdesivir seems. I don't know if we're going to get a vaccine either. Yeah, exactly. Remdesivir seems promising as a treatment. I don't know when we're going to get a vaccine. You know, I do think what will, what could change the game in terms of, you know, um, you know, realistically be able, being able to widely reopen is uh, widely available testing. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that could, that could be a game changer. Yeah. Um, but, you know, economically, I think there's so much pent up demand that, you know, I mean, that's, that's not going to be, I initially, when all of this started happening, I, I expected that the recovery from the fallout from this was going to be a V shape rather than a, a, a prolonged U shape. You know what I mean? Where, where we would have just as sharp a, a a recovery as as sharp as the decline had been, and you know, if we were only going for you know a short couple of weeks or maybe a month or two, then you would have still the same level of kind of pent up demand in, in the market for various yeah. goods and services. Um, but you know, the longer the longer we hold out on that, the more destructive yes. the economic implications are going to be and i don't think that yeah. like here's here's the problem with that right as soon as you say that somebody's going to hear you to be saying well, well you know you're, you're just concerned about money you know but what i'm really concerned about is lives you know i'm you're just worried about money but i'm worried about you know health and and you know how could you be so greedy to just be worrying about that you know but uh, you keep in mind that you know First of all, there have been a, hand, a number of occasions where precisely because things are so shut down, um, people are dying for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit like a, it's a, bit like a, a bubble in a, in a carpet where you, know, you push it down and it kind of pops up in another place. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, there were, there were a number of instances, I was just reading of one the other day, where one, it was a really tragic situation. One, one woman was uh, pregnant and had her checkup, you know, I, I forget what trimester she was in, but had her checkup virtually rather than in person mm-hmm. because this was she felt that this was going to be safer um, and ended up having very serious complications that would have been caught from an in-person exam mm-hmm. you know another you know another article i was reading suggested that the number of patients who were scheduled for regular checkups who are cancer patients um, whether it was for chemotherapy treatments i think that was the instance this particular case um, the number of canceled appointments for those treatments was 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 increasing drastically. Um, so people were not getting the the help they they really needed for other non COVID related services. In fact, you know hospitals. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm no expert on this. You know, maybe we we bring Doc on to share a little bit more detail. But from what I'm reading, um, hospitals are being hit pretty hard by by this situation. You would think it would be just the opposite, but actually, you know the, the 
the number of COVID, you know, the, how, pro, you know, how does a, how does a hospital make its money? You know what I mean? Um, not generally from, from servicing COVID patients, um, mm-hmm. but, but rather through all kinds of other treatments for, for other ailments that, again, it's not, it's not, the point is not, you know, yeah. oh, look at the poor hospitals that are losing their money. The point is healthcare workers are, are being hit by this as well, not just in the ways that we think. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not it's not just as simple as you know. Oh well, you're just concerned about money versus lives. It's it really is about lives cutting both ways. And if I may, I'm going to end my part on this. I mean, I definitely want to try. I actually have to get ready to go to work soon, brother. But I definitely want to try to re to revisit this and to maybe talk about. Um, uh, you know, talk about the rise in suicide attempts or the rise in mental illness, mental health problems. Um, you know, what does it mean to, everything's a cost benefit analysis, right? You know, every time you get in a car, it's a risk, you know, you might waste, you know, are you taking, are you taking unnecessary risk by driving to get ice cream? You know, maybe you shouldn't leave your house ever for non-essential purposes to avoid being a risk to yourself or others, um, in a car. But I wanted to quote this one passage from Deuteronomy, um, chapter 24, Verse, uh, yep. And the reason why I think this is important is 24 verse six, and it's a law in the Old Testament. So it says, no one shall take a mill or an upper millstone and pledge for that would be taking a life and pledge. Now the context there is that the idea of a pledge is that, um, you know, back in those days, you didn't have, you know, banks and you didn't have uh, FDIC or whatever the case may be or insurance or whatnot. So if you, if you gave someone money, um, you know, what's the guarantee you're going to get it back? Um, you, you, would, you would basically get something from them. You would hold something uh, in pledge. And so, you know, if you, know, if you and I today were doing that, Dylan, you might, you know, you know, I might be like, hey, Dylan, can I borrow, you know, whatever. I need, I need $10,000. And you'd be like, okay, well, I'll hold, um, you know, I'll hold your computer or I'll hold your, your furniture in pledge or something like that. Um, but yeah, you know, because collateral, it's really, it, it is collateral. Um, I guess something common, I mean, kind of similar today would be, uh, you know, bailout money or um, even like the mortgage, you know, when you, you borrow money from a bank, you're putting, you know, you're attaching your house to it, um, the, the item of value. But um, anyways, this law has to do with you can't, if you, if you loan someone money, you can't take their livelihood as a pledge, like the upper millstone would be used for grinding, grinding grain, you know, and it says like that would be taking a life and a pledge. So um, there is a sense in which scripture connects a person's job or their, their means of living with their life itself. I mean, if you take their means of survival, you're taking their life. And God says, don't, don't do that. So uh, even though this law, uh, I guess, the indirect application is if you're going to, to say that, well, you're just, you just want your money or you just want to get haircuts or you just want to go out to a restaurant <clears throat> and we, we actually care about lives and you care about just money. And I would say, be careful because scripture makes a connection between the livelihood and the life. And, you know, consider that word itself, livelihood. It's the means of procuring and sustaining life. Um, and that requires a job, in all honesty. So, those yeah. are my final thoughts. Still, anything you have there to add? Oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I I saw um, a 
post online by a, a prominent public figure who mm -hmm. shall remain nameless to protect the guilty. Um, who, who basically, and, and this person is, you know, generally on the, on the left-leaning side of, of the political spectrum, the worldview spectrum. And, and this person said, um, you know, hey, all of this talk about reopening, you know, don't get it twisted. Let's not confuse things. What the people who are talking about reopening are really after, what they're really after is getting people off of unemployment. That's what this is about. They don't want people on unemployment. And I, I, I saw that and I thought to myself, well, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's right. We, we, you don't want people on unemployment. I mean, the, the unemployment numbers are through the roof. I mean, in Great Depression levels. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it, really is, it really is a scary prospect. It's a very scary thing when that happens because there are downstream implications that are not always widely considered. And, you know, I, I would just say, you know, to those who, you know, and now, you know, I, I've been saying things in the last couple of minutes that are pretty favorable to what, you know, I, I know I, where I generally stand and I know where you generally stand, probably where many in our audience generally stand. Now I'm going to pivot the other way just a little bit. And I'll say, look, there's risk on both sides. And I think this is why we need to have grace. Like anybody who, who looks at the situation and says, oh yeah, well, the other side is just, a bunch of simpletons and they don't care about about human life and they don't care about mm -hmm. you know the the gravity of the situation there's a um, virus outside i'll be killed in the streets whoever's whoever <laughs> says like you know it's it's just a super simple thing yeah. is is it's oversimplifying because it yeah. really is it's a complex issue and you don't want to open you don't want to reopen too early you really don't because that would have devastating consequences as well the whole point about flatten the curve initially was to give hospitals sufficient time so that you know ICU beds were not overwhelmed. The, yeah. the underlying assumption was that at some point the vast majority of the population is still going to catch this. Is going to get this. So, yeah. So so at some point the conversation pivoted from we need to have sufficient ventilators and hospitals equipped to be able to handle the inflow of, of mm -hmm. patients who contract COVID nineteen. And it switched from that to, well, we need to make sure that there's, we can totally prevent the thing with a vaccine. And yeah. you know, how that happened with a bit of a rhetorical sleight of hand, I, I don't exactly know. What I yeah. do know is that you don't want to reopen too early either because yeah. that would have had tremendously devastating consequences. And for what it's worth, you know, we're moving in, we're, we're talking about this now and kind of saying, hey, you know, maybe we need to start reopening things with summer ahead of us. Yeah. Well, you know, not, not to, I mean, I never watched Game of Thrones, but I do know a famous quote, winter is coming. And when winter comes, there is material risk that reintroduces itself in, in kind of, you know, as we approach, as we reapproach flu season. So mm -hmm. how do we handle that? You know, that's, that's got to be handled delicately yeah. as well. So yeah. it's all that to say it's complicated. And where there's disagreement, I would encourage our listeners to, interact with those who might lean slightly differently than you do with a measure of grace rather than just blanket accusations that say you don't care about lives or you don't care about livelihood or you don't care about x right it's yeah. <laughs> you, let's try to weigh things as even-handedly as possible and and come up with a wise decision that tries to mitigate the worst of 
not only immediate implications, but downstream implications that, you know, are really are there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, brother, I mean, we're definitely gonna have to come back and, uh, and continue this conversation. Uh, I know that there'll be, um, there's more, there's so many different topics we could go down rabbit trails uh, for, and I, I want to do that eventually, but we'll just need some more time uh, to knock that out. But, uh, uh, you know, so those of you who are listening, if there are, you know, things that we mentioned that you want us to touch on uh, or re- revisit, uh, we're happy to do it. Uh, I'm going to plan on doing some more research as well um, and see what we can, you know, talk about uh, in the next, uh, the next episode. So um, before we close out, if yeah. I may, I, I know you got to get rolling yeah. two quick resources that I might point listeners to if they're interested yeah. in this conversation, there was a helpful back and forth between two very wise, God-fearing men. Um, one of them was by a man named Jonathan Lehman with Nine Marks. He put out an article related to all the happenings and how, how Christians are responding and, and churches reopening and, and all the rest. Um, and it was, it was a very thought-provoking article. There was a response to it by a chap named uh, Toby Sumter. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce yep. his last name. I know Toby, yep. Yeah, he he had he posted a response to Jonathan Lehman's article that I, I thought was was also thought provoking. And both of these men, I I thought, were interacting with one another's views charitably, uh, but mm-hmm. rigorously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I you know I would I would recommend those as kind of a side by side for mm. for a primer for reading for you know, listeners who might be interested. Yeah, and you should have you know if you're unless you're unless you're you know working pretty pretty crazily. Uh, you should have a lot of time on your hands to read those things at home. So, <laughs> sorry, bad joke. Dylan. All right. Oh, all right. We got to end before this gets bad. All right. I will. Uh, all right. Well, thank you again for tuning in. And uh, well, Dylan, thank you for joining me via phone. And uh, we'll talk to you all uh, next time. So uh, take care and, and God bless. God bless.